Hi, friends. Thanks for listening to the Louder Vision podcast for creative people. Before we meet today's guest, let me tell you about my latest project. I'm directing a fictional comedy TV series called Community TV. It's a dark comedy version of NBC's 30 Rock set behind the scenes of a local low-budget TV station. It's a fictional look behind the scenes, and it's inspired by my nearly 10 years of experience in TV, film, and video production. So I want to send my love to my amazing cast and crew, and thank you guys for your dedication, creativity, and talent. We've got a really awesome teaser video that we just wrapped up and hopes for the pilot, so if you want to be a part of this project, or if you can support this project in any way, please check out lauramioli.com slash ctv. And you can follow me on Instagram at Loudavision for behind-the-scenes photos and updates about our project, Community TV. I want to give a shout-out to my sister, Tamika Gross, the budget business boss, who has developed a really simple tool for us so that we can organize an entire year of social media posts in just five easy steps. So if you have a product to sell, a project to promote, or if you just want to get your name out there, you have to improve your social media game. Here's the perfect way to do that. It's a 12-month social media content calendar, and you can start it at any time, whenever you're ready. And it takes just about two hours to organize a full year of posts. And you'll take the guesswork out of social media with research-tested topics suggested by a best-selling author, speaker, and branding expert. Go to loudavision.com, get your copy, and get started. Today's guest on the Loudavision podcast is Julia Amisano. See, it said it sounded Italian again. It did. It's awesome. <laughs> Hi, Julia. <laughs> Hi. My Italian relatives will be very happy. Yes. Amisano. Yes, I tried not to give the Italian accent, but it's natural. It comes out when I have names like Amisano. And so you're Julia Amisano. She teaches voice, piano, and acting at her studio in Brooklyn, New York. You can check her out at gracemusicstudiony.com. So thank you, Julia, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So today's topic is finding your voice. But before we get to that, I want to learn about your background. I see in your bio, you sang at Carnegie Hall and you performed in a lot of operas, musicals and plays. So tell me about that. Actually, it's a very, very funny story. Yes, I've been performing since I was little. If you asked me at six years old, what do you want to be? In fact, they, people did ask me and I'd be like, I want to be a singer. And they'd be like, uh-huh, what, what else do you want to be? What do you really want to be? Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> I was so confused by that. So then I was like, okay, well then I want to be an astronaut. Okay. And then they just stopped talking and walked <laughs> away. So I was like, all right, well, I wanted to be a singer anyway. So that's my first answer and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I am terrible at math. So it's good that I did not become an astronaut. Yeah, well, we might all move to Mars soon enough. <laughs> exactly. I, so I've been singing since I was young, very, very little. But the story about Carnegie Hall is a fun story. I had been singing with an opera company for a while. I met the people that run the opera company when I was doing my master's degree at Brooklyn College. And I had been asking, whatever you want to call it, my higher power, whatever. I felt like I wanted to do some community outreach work. Mm -hmm. But my schedule in grad school and my teaching schedule, because I was teaching singing and acting in piano while I went to grad school. So my schedule was so intense. I was like, I'm crazy. What am I wanting to do volunteer work for? But I really, my heart just really wanted to do it. And so I was in my opera theater class and in walks this woman. 
uh, short, little, very cute woman. And she's like, I have an opera company and we are singing for, you know, kids in hospitals and we have an audition. And I was like, oh, yes, it's the answer to my prayers. So I go and I sing for them. And I did an aria and an aria is like an opera piece, right? Except I did like a kick line and shook my shoulders and stuff. Like I really like hammed it up. I made it really like kind of crazy and they loved it. And so they asked me to be in that show. And consequently, they asked me to be in a whole bunch of their shows where they paid me to sing for a long time. So I had a long standing relationship with this opera company. So volunteer work turned into paid work. Definitely. Yes. And it was really, I really think that it's a heart driven thing. You know what I mean? Like when your heart is calling for you to do something, you have no idea why, even if it seems crazy. I always think, you know, why not? Instead of thinking why, think why Mm -hmm. not? So I was on the train going to visit my sister who lived at the time in Long Island. And on the train was the music director and composer that wrote all the operas for this opera company. And he's there with his now wife. They were dating at the time. His name is Christian McClear. And I was like, oh my God, Christian, how are you? And he's like, um, are you going to do this thing with us, this opera at Carnegie Hall? And I'm like, what? (laughs) He's like, didn't Monica call you? I'm like, no. He's like, Julia, I wrote this opera for you. You have to do it. And I was like, "Um, yes, please. (laughs) Who's going to say no to that, right? Yeah. So it was really fun. It was called Kindergarten. And it's this frazzled music kindergarten teacher and all the other singers in this. So it was a 10-minute opera. It was a series of 10-minute operas. So the 10-minute operas were one after the other in this program at Carnegie Hall. So it was really the... Did you ever see Bride of Frankenstein with the like crazy hair and the big white stripe? Okay. Mm -hmm. So that was my vision of this kindergarten teacher she oh my god crazy frazzled and all the kids were so bad that it was funny and at the end very end of the opera christian said to me they all of a sudden start singing in harmony after being like no i'm not gonna sing that and one little singer is like i am a panther today (laughs) like (laughs) you know (laughs) so it's really like funny and cute and at the end of the opera he's like I just want you to look amazed and stunned that all of a sudden, for no reason at all, they just start singing in six-part harmony. And so I decided as an actress just to faint. And the way that they then staged it was all the little kids to end the opera just stepped over my, you couldn't tell whether I was dead or whether I (laughs) just fainted. But that was the first time that I sang at Carnegie Hall. And we did that program five times. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was a different opera every time. Yeah, the first time was just that one that they wrote for me, that Christian wrote. So did you start out as a singer or an actress or did you start out doing something else? I did. I started out, I mean, that's where my training was. So I have always been, you know, I was the kid that was in every musical and Mm -hmm. I was a complete theater geek. I mean, like, yeah, when it wasn't cool. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah, when I was a kid, it was not cool to be a theater geek. Well, now it seems like being a geek is cool because it's having something that you're passionate about, even from a young age, even a few years ago was considered being a a geek or a nerd. And now it's cool. That's all the 40 somethings revenge. (laughs) 
<laughs> for real. Because we're all like, hey, we are people and we are doing our passion in the world. Yeah. And now we have a say about stuff and being a geek rules, man. Yeah. So I was that kid in high school that just was a geek. And I went to school for music and for theater. And I didn't know at the time that I would have to also dance, which I'm not good at at really? all. Oh, God, it was hard. Because being in a play, you'd have to do everything. Everything. And you have to compete. I mean, you have to be able to move. And I can move on stage, but I am not a ballerina. <laughs> I'm just not, you know. My ballet teacher, every time we would go across the floor, her response to me, she didn't even use words. She'd just go, ugh. would be like, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's I'm so sorry. Rude. I'm not a ballerina. I can sing and I can <laughs> act. I just have to take this class to get my degree. Please pass me. Yeah. Please let me pass. Please yes, I get me. it. Yeah. So then I, after college, I decided to go on and get a master's degree in acting in London because I had spent a semester abroad in London and um, I just loved it there and I loved Shakespeare plays and so I again followed my heart and went to uh, Lambda which is London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art Mm -hmm. and it was really hard to get in but they accepted me and I did their uh, master's program which in England is only a year long it's called a postgraduate degree Mm -hmm. and I almost stayed in London but I just decided everybody was trying to get into the United States. And at that time, you had to give up your American citizenship. Oh. It's like, yeah, no. I'm yeah, not- that's hard. Yeah. That's a big commitment. Right. Exactly. And my family is here in the States. So I was like, no, I'm going to go home and make a life for myself at home. Great. Yeah. And now you're here. And now, yep. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I started touring and temping. Mm-hmm. And now I'm teaching. So I do still sing. I I am still hired to sing, mostly for operatic stuff and mostly for things actually that people write for me that they want to record. Mm -hmm. So like new opera, if you could call it that. But that's always very flattering. What is new opera? New opera is like opera that's being written now. Okay. So just modern. Yeah. It's not like opera set to rap music. No. <laughs> no. Although that's kind of... that's kind of. I invented cool something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you ever see The Fifth Element? Did you ever see that yes. movie? Yes. So yeah, the diva, she sings... <laughs> Remember that? The big blue lady? Yeah. I thought that was so cool. They blended all those genres of music and she was all like... <laughs> but it was like, boom, chick, boom, chick, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, right on. All right. This is the future. Okay. Nice. So I want to know how you turn from being on stage to being a teacher. But first, we have to take a quick break okay. and let people hear about some awesome podcasts that they can listen to. Awesome. Be right back. Hey, y'all, I'm Courtney Hinton of VerveHouseCollective.com. Verve House Collective is all about creatives, entrepreneurs, and those who want to live an awesome life full of intention. Again, that site is vervehousecollective.com, and we'd love to see you. Good morning, Indubians and future friends. I am T. Sterling Watson from the Indu Podcast, and I invite you to stop by and press play. 
The Indube Podcast is a little bit of everything, just like myself. Topics include entertainment, nerd culture, pop culture, intellectual chats, spirituality, music, or magic, if I misread my own handwriting. And you can find me on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, Spreaker, YouTube, Google Play, and, of course, Indube.com. The podcast and this ad is a 3SFX production. So we're back, and thank you, Julia, for the wonderful tips on how to make my throat feel not clogged. <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. Well, it's very easy. If you're feeling dry and scratchy, then you want to have something warm like tea with honey because that helps coat your throat and helps uh-huh. it heal. And if you're feeling gunky, like you've got a lot of gunk in there, then have something warm like tea with lemon because the acidity in the lemon will break down the gunk basically. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I like how you so easily gave me instruction on how to <laughs> help my throat feel better. <laughs> well, yeah, that's part of the teacher thing. I yeah, think. so how did you become a teacher? Well, it's funny because if I really look back in my life, I've been let's call teaching helping for the purposes okay. of today. I've been helping since I was really young. Like every show I've ever been in, somebody has pulled me aside and said, can you help me with my song? Can you help me with my monologue? Can you help me with... And I was always like, yes, 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 of course I can because I like to help teachers in general. If you don't like to help, you should not become a teacher. Yeah, That would be my advice. But I met my meditation teacher, my spiritual teacher who lives in India And before I went to India, I had been doing like national tours and then I'd come back to New York City and temp. And I temped actually for a bunch of investment banks. And, And that sounds kind of boring, but the one thing that they really taught me, I worked a lot for Goldman Sachs. Okay. And Goldman Sachs is like, ugh, you know, like now we know that they did all kinds of terrible things, but... This was before then? Yes, this was before then. And I didn't, you know, I was a temp, so I was like... But at night, because I was only in the city, you know, for a couple months at a time, and then I'd go out on the road, and then I'd come back, I would work as much as I could. So they'd give you dinner, free dinner, and a free car ride home. Whoa. Yeah, if you stayed late. I mean, the perks of investment banking, I saw it firsthand. I was like... (laughs) Wow. So every place I worked, people wanted to hire me mm-hmm. because I'm a person who gets bored doing nothing. And I always said no. And they're like, why not? I was like, well, I'm, I'm an artist. I'm a singer. I'm an actress. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll never forget, I rode a car home with somebody from Goldman Sachs one night. Mm-hmm. And he, the guy in the car, was talking all about how... Yeah, he makes this, you know, six-figure income and his family and his wife and the pressures. But what he really wanted to do was be a high school math teacher. Oh, makes a lot less money. Uh Uh-huh. He couldn't wait to retire Mm -hmm. from investment banking and have a second career. Wow. And he had been in investment banking for 30 years, 30 years. And at that moment, I said to myself, okay you know what, you're going to have to work hard at anything you want to do. Yeah, You might as well work hard at something you love. Mm-hmm. And right there was the moment that I was like, I will not settle. I am not going to live a life of accepting these job offers that people want to give me. I worked for American Express Global in the advertising department. And the same thing happened again. My boss went everywhere via helicopter. 
And I was always given a brief about that. I was like, dude, really? Wait, what if they wanted like a snack or a drink from, from the store? What if they wanted to go to Dunkin' Donuts? I was just like, is it really necessary? I know. Really? Like you have a limo. He's like, Julia, you don't understand traffic. I'm like, wow, dude. He seems like a villain from like a TV show. (laughs) Well, he's a nice guy, but you know, he just did what all people that corporate high ups and he offered me a job. He's like, this was back in 1996. Mm -hmm. We want to give you 50 grand a year to be my secretary. Mm-hmm. And I said, no. And he said, Julia, it's 50 grand a year. You want more money than that? I was like, it has nothing to do with money. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm, I'm an actress. I'm a singer. And he's like, do you have a job <laughs> acting and singing? And I'm like, I do. I have a summer stock job. And he's like, oh, Julia, how much are they paying you? I know. And I was like, I'm not telling you. He's like, just tell me. I'm like, no, I don't want to tell you. He's like, just tell me. I'm like, okay, fine. They're paying me $200 a week. He's like, oh, oh. Oh, man. What? I was like, but even in that moment, I was like, yep, they're paying me 200 bucks a week and I'm excited about it. And I'm out, you know, because I would have been chained to that desk for my whole life, you know? I mean, some people enjoy that and some people, that's their personality, but it's not for everybody. Right. It's definitely not. I've spoken to Alex from the Variety Seeker Tribe and we spoke about a very similar thing. Some people aren't meant to sit at a desk. Some people aren't meant to have one job. And a lot of creative people have that problem where they don't want to be chained to a desk all the time. But it's hard because we have to pay our bills. We have to survive. And it's so easy to just give in to that tempting, easy thing of sit at a desk and collect your money. Yep, you're right. You know, I don't necessarily think that anybody who makes that choice is a bad person or even a sellout. I just knew for myself, Mm -hmm. if I made that choice, that I would get very, very comfortable with a lot of money very quickly. And my life would be all about that. All about being this guy's assistant, being there at seven o'clock in the morning and leaving at seven at night. And it just felt like slavery to me. I was like, that's not how I want to spend my life. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad because I, I definitely wouldn't have gotten the chance to sing at Carnegie Hall if I yeah. was working at Amex. <laughs> As creative people, we have to make sacrifices sometimes and, mm-hmm. and not go the easy route or something that might not be as difficult to get into. But you got to take a risk, too, as a creative person, as someone who's an artist, someone who loves doing something. It's not always easy to get there. I totally agree. Yeah. But let's talk about the topic of the day. (laughs) Okay. We're talking about finding your voice. Yeah. Well, I started teaching because I believe that everybody can sing. Really? Yeah. Everybody? Everybody. Everybody. (laughs) Well, okay. Some people are like, oh, I'm tone deaf. And I Mm. say, my response to that is, there are actually tone deaf people, but they would speak in a monotone. They wouldn't have any, (laughs) really, that's what tone deaf is. They would speak on one pitch. And so if the voice is varied at all, like if you're inflecting Mm -hmm. and your voice goes up and it goes down, then you can sing. Mm. Okay. And it's really, I found as I was working in the industry, in the business, there were a lot of people that I would meet just in general in my life Mm -hmm. that would say, oh, well, I can't do that. I'm not part of music or I can't sing. And so, of course, the helper in me was like, yes, you can. (laughs) And I'm going to show you how exactly. So this is what you do. And that's how I started teaching. 
Nice. Yeah. I decided instead of temping Mm -hmm. and having that temptation of the whatever it was, 50 grand a year job looming over my head every time I went to work somewhere, I was like, you know what? Instead of doing that to make money, why don't I start teaching? Then I can be at home. This is what I'm trained to do. I have two master's degrees in it. At that time, I only had one when I started. Mm -hmm. But I can help people. I can help people sing. Everybody Mm -hmm. should be able to do this. Nobody should feel like they're outside of music or they don't get to sing. I think that's terrible. So what are some tips for people who think they can't sing? Even just basic karaoke, like we just want to be better at basic karaoke. What are some tips that you might have? The very first thing that you learn about singing is how to breathe. Okay. So... The voice itself is a wind instrument, meaning the the air passes through the vocal folds in a way that makes the voice box vibrate, and then it resonates, it vibrates up out into your face and out into the room. And the control of the breath, the use of the breath, is the most important thing when you're singing. Mm -hmm. So the very first thing to do when you are wanting to sing well is breathe. And I don't mean breathe up in your shoulders. I mean breathe in your belly. And actually on my website, there's a two-minute mini voice lesson. Okay. And I show you, I give you an exercise. It's totally free. Mm-hmm. I give you an exercise on how to breathe. Oh, right? Great. It says mini voice lesson. And I start with that exercise because that's the foundation. That's the first thing to learn when you are singing is how to breathe correctly. And it's it's not hard. It just takes practice. That's See, that's the thing. The thing is, anybody can learn to do it. It's just a matter of practicing it. And it doesn't have to be this horrible, oh my God, I'm never going to make any progress for years and years and years. That's not true. You will. You will make progress. You just have to sort of jump in and have fun and let yourself explore because the body so intelligent. Yeah, and it remembers, just like riding a bike. Yep. I'm sure you could remember how to sing if you actually knew how to sing. Right. Cool. So what are some benefits of singing? Oh my gosh, there's so many benefits of singing. Well, the first benefit of singing is just that you feel like you're expressing yourself. You feel like you're not stifled, you know? These days, especially in the political climate where people feel like they have to say stuff and they can't say stuff. And it's all very stressful. Everybody's stressed out. If I say this, then I align myself with this. And if I say that, then I align myself with that. Mm-hmm. And when you're singing, it's nice to just be like, and I'm happy, clap along if you feel. It's just like, yeah. I'm just happy. Woo! I'm just like letting my hair down. It's just a, oh, I can feel free to relax mm-hmm. and sing. You know, even if it, who cares? Who cares what it sounds like at first? Mm -hmm. It's been scientifically proven that singing produces oxytocin in the brain, which is for women, it's the feel good drug. And it's also the feeling connected drug. Oh, Mm -hmm. yep. I'm sure that would be good to connect with people who don't like say we're arguing with someone and it could be about politics or anything that we might not agree with them. Totally would be something to bring someone together. Totally. Yeah. Yep, exactly. It it builds community in terms of, you know, if my students, there's a community of my students and they perform together every recital. We have a group number, a group piece that everybody sings together. And we're talking like little, little kids, like five years old Mm -hmm. to my 87 year old student who just wrote her first song. Wow. You know, and they, everybody sings together because it's community and that feeling of community definitely 
in my experience, people are craving that feeling of community. No, we are because we're so isolated being on our phones all the time. Even if we're on the train, we're really not connecting with anyone. We're on our phone. We're in our own world. We have our headphones on. And so singing together with different age groups and different people, it's just something where you have to pay attention to what other people are doing. You have to keep up with them. You have to harmonize with them. So I can see the benefit of it. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. So there's so many benefits to singing. I mean, Singing teachers in general, if you have a really good singing teacher who wants to help you develop your instrument to its full potential, let's say, Mm -hmm. and say you're a person who just wants to sing for fun, you're not really interested in singing on Broadway or at Carnegie Hall, you just want to sing for fun. What happens is what I've seen and what my students have told me is that singing is so personal and it connects you so much with your whatever you want to call it, your higher self, your soul, Mm -hmm. that it helps to transform your mind, especially if you thought that you couldn't sing. Once you start singing, you're like, oh, I actually can sing. Then there are all these other things in your life that you look at and you think, oh, I, I didn't think I could get that job promotion, but I can sing. So maybe I can get that job promotion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Confidence booster. Yeah. And You know, I've watched so many people do things that they, I had one student say to me, yeah, I marched in and I got that promotion at my job because after singing in a recital on stage in front of, you know, a hundred people, nothing could be as scary as that. So yeah, (laughs) it was easy just to go in and say to my boss, listen, I would like a raise. I would like more money. And the boss was like, okay. And after it happened, the student was like, it was so easy. All I had to do was ask for it. But if I hadn't asked for it, they would have kept me at that pay rate indefinitely. Yeah. So it was such a good life lesson for me, too. Just like you said, as a creative person, we have to take risks. And most people feel that, oh, I'm not really a person who takes risks or, oh, that's for brave people or that's for courageous people or that's for artists or whatever. And the truth is all of us are scared, but singing helps us sort of break through a really deep fear of expressing ourselves. And once you break through that, it's like anything can happen. That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. My job is awesome. It's true. (laughs) Yep. I think sometimes as people tend to label themselves maybe an introvert, a lot of artists, because a lot of their work tends to be solo. So we work on our computer and we're quiet all the time. And it's hard sometimes to break out of that introvert type of shell and have the confidence and the courage to use our voice, even just to speak and to ask for something or to communicate with other people. And I definitely don't believe introvert and extrovert is an excuse for anything and I think it's more of a scale and where people fall on the scale because I don't find myself to be an introvert completely or an extrovert completely but I definitely have my times when I might be editing something for example and that is completely engulfed in the computer and my whole world is in the computer and so sometimes I have to step out of it and say oh wow there's people around I can talk to people I can go have a conversation with my friend or go sing or go in you know my favorite thing taking a bath and singing Mm, yeah singing in the bath yeah so that just releases all of the shyness that comes with these computer-based tasks for me i feel like that 
That is a great example. That is a great example of what singing does for you. It sort of releases you from that feeling of the intense feeling of working on your art, working on your craft, which is so, I mean, you pour your heart and your soul into these things and then you need release. Release. Singing is a release. That's a great word for it. And I I agree with you about the introvert and extrovert thing. Partially, that's not the only reason, but that's one of the reasons why I made the DVD on how to sing. Because some people should be able to learn how to sing, and maybe they just want to learn in their living room by themselves. Maybe they're so shy that they don't even want to come to a lesson with a teacher. Yeah, if you think you're a terrible singer... I mean, I know I wouldn't want to go to a teacher and have them judge me. Be like, (laughs) exactly. Well, I mean, the good news is I don't ever, you know, I would never put someone down. And it -hmm. it would always be about content and allowing the person. Yes, exactly. Allowing the person to find the way. I'm showing them the way specifically how to correct, correct pitch, Mm -hmm. correct, whether it's loud or soft, correct. It's all about technique. Mm -hmm. And technique is learned. Yes, there are some people who just are very, very talented and born singers, right? Okay. So what they're doing is they're doing the technique with or without knowing they're doing it. So I sometimes have students come in who've been singing their whole lives. They're very, very talented. And so my job with them is to teach them what it is they are doing naturally. So in case anything goes wrong, they know how to fix it. And also, once they start to consciously know what they're doing, then they can take it even farther. They can really develop their full potential because they're now on board consciously. They're now on board working on their craft, developing their voice. But uh, one of my best friends is an introvert, and she definitely describes herself that way. And she's also a musician. See, she's not completely an introvert. Right, that's true. I don't believe that anyone is completely an introvert (laughs) because she goes on stage and like if you're completely an introvert, you would never leave your house. That's true. You're right. You're right. So it's it's a spectrum. Yeah. But I remember years ago, I was asked to start a group to sing for my meditation teacher who comes to New York City every summer. Alma is her name and she's called the Hugging Saint in the media. And a bunch of the groups that would get together to meditate, they're called satsangs, had like a group of singers that would sing these meditative call and response. They're called pudgeons. They're like sacred songs, but it's call and response. And the point is to bring you deeper into connection with the divine or meditation. And so some yoga studios have what's called kirtan. That's the same thing. Okay. So anyway, I was asked to form a group of singers from Brooklyn to go and sing for Alma at her program in the summertime. And this friend of mine said that she wanted to be part of the group. And I was like, great. So this is what we're going to sing. And she's like, oh, no, 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 I don't sing. (laughs) No, 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 I'm an instrumentalist. I'll bring my instrument. And I'm like, okay, but everybody in our group has to sing. No, 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 no. (laughs) I'm going to, no, I'm going to play. And I'm like, if you want to be in the group, you're going to sing. And she was like, wah, 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 okay. (laughs) So the cool thing about that is today she started singing in the Alma group, and we've done it for a couple of years now, nine years, eight years, something like that. And then she started to get more and more brave, and then she started to want to lead, like lead a song, do the call part of their song. And of course, 
I said, that would be awesome and I'll help you with that. And long story short, she now runs her own Kirtan group where she sings lead most of the time, where she lives in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And so she also does still play her instrument, but it's just once you start expressing and like you said, releasing, Mm -hmm. you just want more of it. You're like, this is so fun. I really like this. And it makes you feel more goofy and silly. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Which is just, wow, do we need to be goofy and silly these days? (laughs) (laughs) Where can people find out about the Kirtong meditation? So if you went to any yoga studio will have, well, not any yoga studio, but lots of yoga studios have Kirtan. It's K-I-R-T-A-N. Okay. Devadas, D-E-V-A-D-A-S. Devadas is an old friend of mine, and he plays Kirtan a lot in the city. Awesome. Yeah, so just look up Kirtan. You can look up Devadas. You can look up Amma, A-M-M-A dot org. She's the person that we do Kirtan for. She's like a world figure, kind of like a female Dalai Lama. She has a whole bunch of charities and, Mm -hmm. yeah. Awesome. So I'll put those links in the description so that people can take part in that. But while we're talking about technique and and singing, um, you're a soprano and not the mobsters on HBO or anything. But uh, (laughs) as a soprano, how did you know that that was your range? And how would other people know what their vocal range is? That's such a great, great question. So in general, so I'm going to just be really general with Mm -hmm. it. So the lowest male voice is called a bass. Okay. The middle male voice is called a baritone. Mm -hmm. The high male voice is called a tenor. So if you sing high. Mm -hmm. Like Josh Groban. Yep. Definitely. (laughs) That's who I think of immediately. Yep. Tenor. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. Pavarotti was a tenor. Okay. The lowest female voice is called an alto. Okay. After alto is mezzo-soprano, which means medium-soprano, which means not as high as soprano, so mezzo-soprano, then soprano, and then after soprano is coloratura-soprano. So coloratura-soprano is really high and squeaky, like Handel operas or... Okay. Like that, like really high and tweety. Yeah. That's called a coloratura-soprano. Coloratura in Italian means fast. And huh. yeah, so when, when you're singing really tweety high stuff, it's often the term for it is called fioratura, which means uh, flowery. It's fast. It's like lots of runs and trills and mm-hmm. things like that. So the way that you would know, the first thing you want to do is identify, do I sing low or do I sing high? If you sing low, you're an alto. If you sing high, you're a soprano. But how low? Like Tony Braxton low or <laughs> like... Isn't that wonderful? So... I mean, these are huge, overarching labels. They're huge. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, are you a female or are you a male? Like, I mean, that's how big these labels are. Really, Mm -hmm. really big. So the beauty of the instrument of the voice is that an alto can sing soprano stuff, but probably they won't feel as comfortable singing the soprano stuff. So the way that you know if you're an alto is if your voice feels rocking, it feels like yeah, I really dig that low stuff. And that's where my voice feels the best. Mm -hmm. A soprano, well, you probably have some friends who are sopranos. Sopranos, so Ariana Grande. Okay. She's a soprano. Sarah Berai, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. The one that sings Brave. I want to see you be brave. Oh, okay. She's an alto. 
What about like Kelly Clarkson? Kelly Clarkson is a soprano. Okay. Yep. And so most of the pop singers, Katy Perry is probably, she's a mezzo-soprano soprano. So most of these people, what they are being paid a lot of money for <laughs> is to sing high in what's called belt voice. So uh, yeah. That yelling. Kind of, right. Like healthy <laughs> yelling. Exactly. And to learn how to do that well without hurting yourself mm-hmm. is what I teach people to do. It's, you know, it pays. If you do it well, it pays very, very well. But it's not an easy thing to do, which is why it's paid so well. Ah, uh, okay. So like Adele, mm-hmm. for example. Adele has just a wonderfully natural voice. And if you talk to her, her voice doesn't sound low and it doesn't really sound high. It kind of sounds in the middle. So mm-hmm. right there you would say that's a mezzo-soprano voice. Mm-hmm. And she does a lot of high belting and a lot of low stuff. So what you want to base what you are on is where your voice feels like it takes off. It's kind of like uh, you get in a car and you step on the gas when the car just goes by itself. Mm-hmm. That's what you are. If it's on the if it goes by itself on the bottom, like you're mm-hmm. like, ooh, that's the most fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If it goes by itself on the top, that's that you're a soprano. So we should all try Don't Stop Believin'. Don't stop. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and see which part sounds more natural. <laughs> right. Exactly. And we all struggle with that high note. <laughs> it's so cool because the voice has so many colors. When you study singing, there are so many things that you can do, so many ways you can express with your voice that you never thought possible. And it's really exciting. It's really exciting. It's kind of like if you're a visual artist mm-hmm. and you had a teacher who could give you a new color. That's what I do every day, all day long. I'm like, check out this color, man. Isn't that fuchsia awesome? And they're like, yeah, I, I love that color in my voice. That really hot, like, <laughs> as opposed to like the beautiful blue. You know what I mean? Nice. It's different. It's just different. It's like having a big box of crayons. Give us the color we can practice. Okay. A color. (laughs) So one of my favorite colors is the color green. And I feel like green is a really like healthy, like fun, happy color. And so if you just go, yee-haw. Am I supposed to? I'm going to try it. Do it with me. Do it with me. Ready? (laughs) Yee-haw. Isn't that funny? Isn't that fun? It's hilarious. I know. (laughs) So now every time you see green, you're going to think, yeehaw. I am. Yep. I'm going to think of you every time. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I like green a little more now. <laughs> My classical album is called Green, actually. Oh. Yeah, I Do have Do you a- say yeehala? Yeehala. <laughs> it's all these beautiful art songs from the mm-hmm. late 1800s. And I just feel like they're so lush and beautiful and dense, like a forest, a forest of musical color. And that's also on my website, but it's it's on CD Baby and on iTunes. And Awesome. Yeah. So my next question is, do you have any tips for overcoming stage fright? And my tip is to sing before you get on stage or to speak before you get on stage. When I have given any kind of talk or lecture or lesson, I try to sing in my car or wherever I can or speak loudly just so that I'm used to using my voice and you're not feeling like you have that frog in your throat. But what about you? Do you have any tips for overcoming stage fright, whether you're an artist, a singer, presenter? 
Absolutely. That's a great one. So whenever we do a recital, I always warm my students up for exactly that reason. They have to be sort of in the flow of using the voice, right? So the main thing that I tell people when they are performing is this is the thing that helps me the most is that the people who are sitting in the audience, they don't actually know what you're going to say what you're going to sing. They don't know the song. They don't know the speech. They have no idea. And they're probably in their seats more concerned about themselves. Yeah. Or texting. Yeah. (laughs) So there's nothing to be afraid of because you're giving your song or your speech or your presentation is actually a gift that you're giving to them by connecting with them. And they can receive it or not receive it, but they're not going to judge the gift. They're just going to be like, oh, that's that song or that's that, you know what I mean? And if you're really a master performer, they'll come away feeling like, wow, I was moved in some way. I'm different in some way because of the energy that that person shared with me. So performing on stage is really about sharing, sharing energy specifically. So that's the thing I tell students. They don't know how it's supposed to go. They have no idea. So the only person who could give it away is you. So if you make a mistake, you just keep going. Like, yeah, I meant to do that. They don't know what the words are. They don't have the words in front of them. The other thing that I tell people is don't look at people when you're singing. Look above their heads. Focus on a point. You know, like sometimes there's an exit sign. Sometimes there's like a picture, like a painting at the back of the hall. Yeah. If you're on stage in a big theater, in a Broadway theater, it's much, much easier because the lights are so much in your face that you can't see the audience anyway. Yeah. You just see little blurs. (laughs) So you sort of aim above their heads so they can watch you and where you're aiming, you're aiming your song or you're aiming your speech or your presentation. You're aiming it to your perfect, somebody that's in your mind's eye, somebody that's receiving it well. Yeah. So we're doing visualization. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Nice. There are performers that get really, really, really good. I would say if you've performed a song for a thousand times or more, I'm not making up that number. It's about Mm -hmm. a thousand times. That's about when you can start engaging with the audience and looking at them. But most of my students get up and they sing a song in our recital and, uh, you know, they don't usually repeat that song. So they're not on tour, you know. Mm-hmm. So they don't build up that thousand times. So you definitely, for the first thousand times, you definitely don't want to look at people. Oh, allow them to look at you. You're sharing your energy, but you're not looking at them. Because when you look at someone, that immediately starts a conversation, right? Oh, Interesting. Right? <laughs> it does. You look at somebody and they're like, oh, they're looking at me. They're, what am I? Am I supposed they to do They want something? me to react. Right, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do? Oh, no. You know, and all of that sort of messes up what you have to be thinking about, which is if you're singing a song, who you're singing to, why you're singing it, and sharing the gift of the song, the experience of the song. Mm-hmm. So you're busy. You're yeah. being your character. You're singing your song. You're giving your gift. And Anything that's going to disturb you should be looked over, literally look over it. So you want to look above people's heads. Cool. So you're working on a reality TV project about Grace Music Studio. Yeah. 
I need to know about this. I'm a, I'm a video and a filmmaker. I need to know about your TV show. Oh, I'm excited about it. So a dear friend of mine works in reality TV as a director. And the idea that everybody can sing mm-hmm. is the catalyst for it. So I was saying to him, you know, gosh, I just I wish somebody could be in the room with me watching all these people transform, not just transform their voices, but transform their lives. Because mm-hmm. it's so cool. I get like a front row seat to watching all this cool transformation. Yeah, so our show is about how that transformation happens in students, what their goals are, specifically what their short-term goals are, okay. that it's exciting for an audience to see. So somebody comes in and they say, I want to do this in three weeks. I want to do this in two months. I want to do that in, you know, whatever it is. Uh And in general, studying singing and overcoming the obstacles, mostly the mind, which tells us we can't do something. Mm -hmm. That process takes a long time. But if somebody is really motivated to do something big, that transformation can happen very quickly. And that is one of my specialties helping people overcome whatever they need to overcome to meet their goal, whatever that goal is. And where can people take a look at your reality show? So it's not on air yet. Yep. We're in the process of filming what's called a sizzle reel, which I'm getting... I know very well (laughs) what that is. (laughs) I did not. I had no idea what that is. So right now, we've done a couple of sizzles, and Mm -hmm. I've shown it to... I'm in a class at School of Visual Arts at SVA. And the class is called How to Pitch Your Reality Show to TV Networks. And Wait, are you taking it this week? Yes. I'm in the class. Awesome. <laughs> awesome, awesome. I'll see you there. Yes, awesome. Yes, I did the last class. Okay. And Andrew and I, I'm not an editor. He's not an editor. Whatever. We were like, whatever. We're just going to do our best and put mm-hmm. together from the footage that we have, something that we think is a good sizzle. And so we did two sizzles and the class gave us feedback about it. And so the sizzle isn't punchy enough yet. It's not exciting enough. It's not promo enough yet. Mm -hmm. And so I'm taking the class again. And I, yeah, I enlisted somebody who was in the class with me last time who she got up and showed her sizzle and everybody was like, see, now that's a sizzle. I was like, okay. (laughs) Take note. Gotta work with this person. Right. Got it. She had mentioned to me twice in class that she really wanted to sing, take singing lessons. And so I'm teaching her singing and she's helping me with the sizzle. Great. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at. My goal with the reality show is to get a good enough sizzle to attract the right production company to help me then flesh out the idea. Either they'll like the sizzle enough and they'll promote that to their contacts and networks, Mm -hmm. or they'll create another sizzle. I'm just wanting to get somebody who does this, like a production company who has contacts with networks Mm -hmm. and digital distribution on board with my project. That's where I'm at in it right now. Awesome. Yeah, it's totally new and wow, is it scary? And I know. (laughs) (laughs) I just have to keep telling myself, you know what? It's okay. You can have the fear and do it anyway. You can have the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. And I recently read a book called The Confidence Gap. Uh Uh-huh. And it kind of talks about that fear. And it says that people who are confident, they don't wait to feel confident. 
to do confident things. You have to do the acts of a confident person, whatever those are, which might be pitching your idea to someone or singing in front of people. You have to just make those acts and then the, the feeling of confidence will come after. Yes. So it's not to wait for this magical confidence to come into you because some people aren't used to being that way. Yep. And I perform and sing all the time and I'm still not that way. I don't know. I never have been. I'm not a look at me kind of person. It's mm-hmm. more like I have this need and want to express myself. Mm-hmm. It's not really about, oh, look at me and clap for me. It's more about the act of expression. And so I can't help myself but get on stage and sing. Like I, it like erupts out of me. But I am actually more shy than a lot of performers. And so I really understand that. Did you ever see um, Talladega Nights? I love that movie. I saw it last night. <laughs> Did you really? I'm yes. a huge Will Ferrell fan. I, Me too. Yep. And I just love when his loser stepdad or whatever comes back yeah. in his life and he's like, okay, you got to face the fear. And he puts a cougar in the car <laughs> yes. and he makes him <laughs> drive with the cougar and he's like, he'll smell your fear or whatever. And Will Ferrell's like, okay. I can do it. Like, that's what I feel like, you know, creating this reality TV show. I feel like every time we shoot, every time I, you know, make a contract for a camera person or mm-hmm. a sound person, or anytime we, we rewrite the sizzle or anytime somebody says, well, how about you do this? Like every single time I feel like, okay, I can do this. <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm outside the car and the cougar's in the car and I have yeah. to get in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. it's scary or like you have to just keep driving because you yeah. can't stop that's the thing when we're working on these creative projects if we stop working on it no one's going to notice that we stopped but nothing's yeah. ever going to progress right nothing's going to happen right exactly yeah <laughs> yep. i'll see you in class oh my gosh i can't <laughs> wait that's gonna be so fun awesome so julia has an instructional dvd on how to sing called the three pillars of singing and you can find it at her website gracemusicstudiony.com and you can reach out to her for private lessons in singing acting or piano just go to gracemusicstudio.com she's also on social media and i'll put all those links in the description everything we talked about so you can connect with her thanks for being on the podcast Thank you, Lord. So fun. Thank you. Helping us find our voice today. Yes. As for me, I'm filmmaker, artist, and your host, Laura Mioli. You can connect with me, getting creative tips and inspiration on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Loudavision. And you can listen to more of these podcasts, read my blog, watch my videos, and contact me. Just go to loudavision.com. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. Bye. 